Welcome to Future of School, the podcast, where we amplify all the key stakeholder voices in education. Students, teachers, parents, policy influencers, entrepreneurs, and more. And engage in meaningful discussions about what it means to create an education system in which all students can reach their unbounded potential. You'll hear diverse perspectives discussing the power and promise of technology, true successes in personalized learning, and what it means to prepare the qualified workforce of tomorrow. Enjoy today's episode. There are many, many benefits of tech-enabled teaching and learning. In order to highlight some of the most fundamental, powerful benefits, I'd like to do that through the lens of students. Elizabeth was a high school student who was had a cleft palate because of a birth defect. She was put in remedial classes and underestimated and undervalued. In order for her to succeed, she had to leave her school and find a school that was an online program where she could be who she was and thrive. Jamar. Jamar was bored in the school that he was enrolled in. He wasn't challenged and he almost dropped out of school until he found a program that integrated online learning and in-person learning. And it re, um, re-sparked his love for what he was passionate about. And fast forward four years, he's an Education Reimagined fellow now, and he's working on redesigning blended learning programs throughout America. These are just two of the stories of students who have benefited from tech-enabled learning. And I think that's where the value and the power lies. Blended and online learning creates a customized pathway. It helps students and families overcome barriers and obstacles. It inspires, it empowers, and it engages students in their lives and in their learning process. And it also connects educators and learners in new ways. And in those new ways that reflects how they're gonna be engaging with future employers and with communicating with other people when they graduate from high school. So those are just a few of the benefits when we look to see how it impacts students' lives and the role of the teacher in the classroom, we're won over every single time. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Stick around for our featured interview and more great segments coming up. I'd like to welcome Dan Dominich. He is the executive director of the American Association of School Administrators, and he's held this role since July of 2008. Dan has more than 36 years of experience in public education, the majority of which he was a school superintendent himself. So he knows the challenges and the opportunities that face school leaders in our education system. Welcome to our podcast today, Dan. Glad to be here with you. Thank you for inviting me. The Superintendents Association is lucky to have you at the helm in, as you provide support to school leaders who, in effect, support teachers and students in our country. So we'd love to hear from you about how the pandemic changed the focus and priorities of your organization. Well, I tell you, it has been, you know, I think uh, one of the words that we hear very often nowadays is pivot. Uh, we've all had, uh, have had to pivot. Uh, not just in terms of our daily lives, but our jobs and everything that we do. And so when the pandemic hit last March, uh, we were faced with totally unprecedented events. Uh, First of all, schools beginning to close throughout the country. 
So the first thing we did as the organization that represents 14,000 superintendents across America was to convene a task force of 30 of our best, brightest superintendents representative of the entire country, large districts, small districts, rural areas, suburban areas. And we began initially with the process of how do we close schools? Uh, and, and until it became evident that uh, towards the end of the school year, just about every school district in America had had to shut down. Uh, but then uh, prior to the end of the school year, we began the process of saying, how are we going to reopen schools? And we spent a lot of time doing that. And as a matter of fact, if you go to the web page of our organization, aasa.org, you will see that there's a 40-page document that details uh, how schools should reopen and guidance for that. And that's been very helpful to a lot of school districts. But I can tell you that uh, during the period since March through today, uh, the changes occur on a daily basis. So for, as an example, uh, when we first came up with reopening plans, they were basically in three categories. Category one is wishful thinking, that schools would open as normal uh, in September or late August. Uh, kids would be coming in, uh, uh, in person, no face mask. Again, uh, it happened, the pandemic is gone. Category two uh, was a combination of what's popularly known as the hybrid plan, which is that uh, in order to adhere to the guidelines, and by the way, the CDC guidelines became very much a part of our guidelines, okay, in terms of the, the decisions were based on an infection rate in the community that had been on a decrease for two weeks, that youngsters would come to school spaced out six feet, that they would be wearing face masks, that all of the sanitary conditions would be adhered to. So with that practice in mind, this hybrid model came about, uh, suggested by the fact that you couldn't have all the children in the building at the same time, only a portion of them. So as an example, Monday and Tuesday, half of the kids would be in school in person. Wednesday and Thursday, the other half would be in the school in person. And on Friday, all of them would be on remote learning. And then category three was remote learning for everybody. Uh, with the assumption, we thought back then that that really wouldn't happen because things would be under control and everybody would be able to at least implement the hybrid model. Well, what we have seen, unfortunately, is that here we are uh, at a point in time when everybody thought uh, that we would have gotten the infection rate under control, not necessarily the virus, but at least the infection rate. And that's not the case. What we are basically seeing is a situation where uh, the infection rate is out of control. And consequently, because of that, uh, what we see most school districts doing uh, is going to the remote plan, the one that we thought would be the least uh, probable back then in, in, in May or early June. Uh, but the situation changes on a regular basis. Uh, and, and the fact is that uh, we know that this coming school year is going to be unlike anything we have ever seen. And anyone that has expectations that it's going to be normal, that their kids are going to be able to return to school uh, as, if, as it was prior to last March, that's not going to be the case anywhere in the country, except perhaps in very isolated areas uh, where there are small populations, there's no infection rate, uh, no one has gotten the virus. 
and it may be possible to do that, but that is going to be quite the exception to the rule. Yeah, that's a real that's a very realistic look at where we were and where we're headed. One of the one of the silver linings, and I'm a glasses overflowing kind of kind of person, especially when it comes to education. I'd say I'm an eternal positivist. Um, one of the silver linings in, in my perspective and in talking to different people is the role of the teacher has never been more pervasive. It's never been more evident. And people are now seeing from a societal perspective how critically important, how much teachers do in schools. So share with us what superintendents are, are talking about in terms of the teacher perspective, the, the struggles and challenges. We know what we see in the media, but you've got your ear to the ground with, with the leaders of the schools. Well, you know, the teacher perspective, obviously, that's where the rubber meets the road. Uh, you know, uh, administration is out of the classroom. Uh, you know, the action is in the classroom with the teacher. Uh, and by the way, there, there is no replacing uh, the physical presence of a teacher in a classroom with the students. That's no, number one. That's the best. Okay. Remote learning uh, is, is something that we're doing because we have to. But I will tell you, though, that after this is over, remote learning will continue uh, because what we are learning is that is an excellent addition to the school day. So some of the major changes that are going to be affecting teacher is that we're going to see an expansion of the school year, probably a, a going back to the year round schooling uh, where it's possible to provide kids with instruction physically in the classroom. But then it's also possible for the kids to continue their instruction outside the classroom with remote learning, either synchronous with a teacher or asynchronous where they're simply looking at videos and other things that the teacher has posted for them. So that means that the role of the teacher is changing significantly. The role of the teacher is moving away from being the sage on the stage, the person that stands in the front of the classroom lecturing a class, to a director of learning, a person that is working individually with each student to provide each student with a personal instructional program, okay? That's very different from the role of the teachers as we know it. That's what the transfer is going to be to, one from the other. Personalized learning uh, is gonna become a major component. Rather than teaching 30 kids the same thing at the same time, teachers are gonna be teaching each child individually in terms of where the child is at. So think of it as an example. We won't need remediation anymore. Why not? Because every child will be instructed where they're at at that point in time. The advanced child will be getting advanced information that, by the way, is enabled by the remote learning, that on their own time, they can go ahead and move ahead. The child that is slower and needs additional time will be provided that time by the teacher and here again that child will be exposed to materials online that is appropriate for them as opposed to the total. So the concept of a teacher teaching an entire class the same thing at the same time will be out the window and it will be a move towards personalized learning. A Couple of things that that's gonna require from the teacher perspective, training. Certainly we know that a lot of training is gonna be required in terms of remote learning. How do you do it? It's very different than standing in front of a class and lecturing. It's very different when you're dealing with each child individually as opposed to a group. So these are the things that are going to significantly affect the role of the teacher in the years ahead. 
Yeah, those are great points. Um, and and we there were two studies that were done. One was in 2018, obviously before the pandemic, and one was done this past June, post-pandemic or post-school year pandemic, I'll say. And they asked teachers across the country about their their experience with technology in teaching. And both of the of the surveys came out with nearly the exact same results, which was approximately 10% of teachers felt comfortable with the tech training they had to deliver quality instruction in, in their classroom. But conversely, 80% of them had a desire for training to be able to use technology. And um, you know, historically, there's been a lot of fear around change and using technology. And so uh, my question for you is, do you think that our teachers will welcome this new generation of, of instructional supports in the classroom? Well, here's the thing. Uh, it's very much age-related. Uh, I happen to have a 28-year-old daughter. She's a millennial. She's a teacher. She's now going into her sixth year of teaching. Uh, that girl loves remote learning. She's been posting all summer long with her students. She's using TikTok. She's using everything that's available to her to stay in touch and provide instruction for learning. Yet, she's willing to go back into the classroom and has volunteered to do that. But she is going to be working with her kids in this hybrid type of environment where she'll be teaching them in person for a couple of days and then online, and she loves it. On the other hand, a lot of her colleagues that are older uh, are not as comfortable with the technology. Uh, and they're the ones that are gonna require the, the additional training. Uh, like me, a lot of these individuals are people that know how to turn on and off a computer, and that's as far as it goes, uh, but really are, are lacking the knowledge, the technology, and, and also how to use it effectively that a lot of other teachers do. So yes, there is going to be a significant need for the professional development of teachers, uh, but here again, uh, even their training uh, is going to be online and remote. Uh, making it easier for teachers to receive that training than the traditional form, where as in the classroom, teachers go into a classroom, sit down, and the person in front of them is doing that training physically. Uh, again, that's old, that's so 19th century, uh, not 20th century. Uh, so yeah. the same uh, changes that will take place for students in the classroom in terms of remote learning as an ancillary to uh, physical instruction will be the case for the training of teachers. Yeah, yeah, very true. And it'll be interesting to see, you know, we can call them the early adopters, you know, within the last three to six months, but that teachers who didn't have exposure to technology, who then had a crash course in it through crisis schooling, who really liked it and were successful at it, they had the opportunity to become the next generation of master teachers and trainers because of their ability to ebb and flow with the times and, and make those transitions. So there's, a, I see that there being a lot of opportunity for growth within teaching staffs among peers. Absolutely, and, and, and by the way, to the system as a whole, some of the things that I, I think we're going to see disappear as a result of the pandemic is seat time requirements, right? What, you're gonna require kids to be in school eight hours a day, really? <laughs> That's not the case anymore. The school calendar, you know, this uh, September through June thing, when you can do from uh, July 1st to June 30th uh, with uh, remote learning. So a lot of things are going to change in education, uh, which should have changed a long time ago. Uh, 
uh, I think those of us that have been in education for a long time as I have, recognize that education tends to be one of the most traditional uh, forms, uh, institutions that we have. Uh, we don't want to give up on what we've done forever. Uh, but here we are in the 21st century and it's time uh, to do away with grade levels, for example, uh, with seat time requirements, for the school calendar, for uh, a lot of the things that we've been doing that are no longer applicable uh, to uh, where we are today in the year 2020. Yeah, and I think that the old adage, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, comes to mind here because when, when you look at Gallup polls of parents and Americans about their satisfaction with the K-12 education system, you, there's varying results to that. And generally, it's such a personal, education is such a personal thing that unless a parent has a child who struggles in school or they have a life-changing event, or a taxpayer is frustrated as their property, you know, taxes are increasing. It's not, you know, it's, it seems like it's working because we haven't opened up space to conceptualize doing it a different way. So you're, you're, you're on point. Yeah. So as we wrap up and hope our, our listeners will listen to this entire series of the podcast, but specifically for teachers, what characteristics do you, in your opinion, do teachers of the future, should they possess to be able to thrive in schools in say, you know, one, two, three years down the road? Well, again, and, and this is a changing role for teachers, although not so much of a change as, as more in terms of how to. Uh, we know, for example, that uh, as, 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 as students come back into the classroom, as important as the academics are, as important as the, the, the loss of learning that has taken place, more important than that is the child itself, the child, the children themselves, okay, and, and their social emotional well-being. Uh, these kids have gone through a lot. Uh, the stress level, the not knowing, uh, and this is where the teacher can be there with the kids and become somebody that the child can go to, relate to, and deal with the needs that they have in order for them to be able to then transfer to learning. If, if they're not emotionally ready, learning will not take place. So that is a significant change for teachers. Teachers have always loved their kids, but it's been difficult for them to provide each and every child in their cl classroom with the personal attention they require because they, they dealt with the class as a group and they taught as a group. And now we're making this switch to individualized instruction, personalized learning, the teacher having this personal relationship with each and every child. And that will be beneficial to every child and it will be very satisfying for every teacher because that's what teachers have always wanted to do. Excellent. Relationships, relationships, relationships. Thank Absolutely. you so much for your time. We look forward to having you on an upcoming, um, on an upcoming series that we have, and we can definitely delve in more into um, why the system hasn't changed and what we can do as a society to move it forward. I think that'd be an interesting topic to explore together. I look forward to that. Thank you very much. Thank you. In a national survey of teachers across America, over 80% indicated that they were satisfied with their professional accomplishments during the crisis schooling period of March to June 2020. Amidst the most challenging of circumstances, overall teachers felt good about their ability to adapt to the quick changes needed to educate students at home. An intentional effort towards more consistent tech integration 
can certainly bring that number up to 100%, allowing teachers to feel equally accomplished in any setting. Hi, my name is Kylie Gardner and I am currently a senior at King University in Tennessee. Uh, I came here after doing about four years of online learning. Uh, I started doing online learning whenever I was a cyclist. I was traveling all over the country, even out of the country to places like Canada and Mexico just to be able to race. And I realized in brick and mortar school, I wasn't able to kind of go out and do that without missing a lot of assignments. So I realized online learning was probably my best bet. So I looked into it and then after that, it just kind of continued from there. I wound up giving up cycling, but I still did online learning just because I made a lot of great friends. It was easy for me to follow along a curriculum of my own path, uh, my own path, my own choosing, my own pace. Uh, it's it wasn't like being able to follow along in a curriculum in brick and mortar school where you're just kind of like following the day to day aspect. You can go out and do your own assignments. You can go out and do it at your own pace. That way you have time for athletics or social events or anything else. And with social events, a lot of people think online learning takes away your um, civility and takes away like your social butterflyness. Uh, you know, it's it actually doesn't. For me, online learning actually helped me make more friends than I did in brick and mortar school because you still have online classes, you still have a lot of people in these classes, and you're still making friends. But you're making friends actually on a larger scale. Like you're making even more friends than you would in a brick and mortar school. So whenever I came to college, I wasn't someone with a homeschool mindset, or I wasn't someone that was socially shut off. I was actually able to focus on my friends and make a lot more friends. And I've actually made lifelong relationships that have stemmed from online learning. You're listening to Future of School, the podcast. Next up, today's five in five teacher interview. Today we're talking to Teresa Bruce. Teresa is a champion of student voice, educational equity, and teacher wholeness. She currently teaches social studies at Kipp School in Baltimore, Maryland. Teresa is a leader in the use of instructional technology at KIPP. She's also a 2019 Future of School Educator Grant recipient and a 2020 Modern Classrooms Fellowship recipient. It's so wonderful to have you here today, Teresa. Thank you so much for having me on uh, this wonderful podcast. It's so exciting to be invited as an educator. It's so great to have you here. Talk to us about your first experience that opened your eyes to the power and potential of blended and online teaching and learning? Uh, so my first experience actually was in 2014 uh, when my school decided to pilot Google Classroom. Um, it was through this system, I can't call it an LMS, but through this system, through this platform, um, where I saw the ability to differentiate instruction in real time. Excellent. What's the one thing in your experience that most people, either who work inside or outside the education profession, that they seem to misunderstand when it comes to online learning? So most people, especially outside of the educational community, but also inside, seem to misunderstand the role of the teacher in online learning. So there's a tendency to think that the role of that teacher will be diminished, and that couldn't be further from the truth. So while more autonomy may be created around a task or assignment completion, the teacher is critical to analyzing student data and building relationships. That's something that online learning can't take away. 
Right. What is one strategy that you think every teacher should use? Consistent feedback loop. Uh, when we consistently provide <laughs> um, feedback to students uh, as quickly as possible, you know, this allows our students to know where they are and to set goals for their own growth. Great. When you think about what the future of school should look like for students, what comes to mind? That's an easy one. Individualized mastery-based learning goals for every unit. Uh, I truly believe we need to get away from this antiquated model of the traditional, you know, I do, we do, you do. And instead we need to allow young people to access content um, at their own pace and not move on until they have mastered that skill. Fantastic. What's your one big dream that you have about education that you would like to turn into a reality? Uh, so that dream is literally what drew me to education. Uh, I tell many people I have no degrees in education. I am certified. Don't get it <laughs> twisted. I am certified <laughs> in, in my state but I have no degrees in teaching. And so the dream that brought me to education is that one day your zip code, your income, and or your race won't matter in the quality of education you receive. I envision equity in resources that allow all students to live a life of choice. It's that simple. Great, thank you so much for being here with us today, Teresa. We appreciate your time and your input. Of course, this was fun. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Future of School, the podcast. To learn more about Future of School, including our student scholarship program, innovative educator prize, and other efforts to highlight and accelerate purposeful innovation in schools, visit our website, futureof.school. Follow us on Twitter at futureof underscore school or connect with us on Facebook or LinkedIn.